0: My name is Jasmohan Bajaj. I'm professor of medicine at Virginia Commonwealth University and Richmond VA Medical Center. I'm the co-editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Gastroenterology, along with my colleague, Dr. Millie Long, professor of medicine in University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. We are today delighted to have Dr. Douglas Simonetto, who is from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, who is going to chat with us about his article, development of the AI cirrhosis ECG, which is the ACE score an electrocardiogram-based deep learning model in cirrhosis. Welcome, Dr. Simaneta.
1: Thank you, Dr. Bajaj. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So let's dive into this for our readers uh, who tend to be a general GI audience and not very familiar with potentially with the increasing importance of deep learning and AI. And could you give us a brief overview of the study results?
1: Absolutely. So the goal of our study was to try to identify a cirrhosis-specific signal on a 12-lead electrocardiogram. And to do that, we identify over 5,000 adult patients with advanced cirrhosis from all three male sites over 20 years, which we then compared with an age sex matched control group without liver disease. We then developed and trained a model using a convoluted neural network, which is a deep learning model, which we then named the AI cirrhosis ECG, or the ACE score. And our ACE score showed excellent performance in identifying cirrhosis with an area under the curve of over 0.91. And we also found a strong correlation between the ACE score and the melt sodium score, suggesting that the cirrhosis signal that we picked up on the 12-lead EKG becomes stronger with increasing disease severity. And then finally, we we're also able to show a rapid decline on the ACE scores after liver transplant uh, down to values comparable to our control group without liver disease.
0: That's very exciting. So, how did you come about thinking of using the E3KG in this fashion? This is a very novel use of a procedure that is done often, so which would be really eye-opening as to how you can read more than just those squiggly lines.
1: <laughs> Completely agree. And uh, 12 EDCGs are certainly a cheap, you know, no invasive bloodless uh, test that if we can apply for identifying patients with cirrhosis, that is a potential clinical utility there. So this idea came about from, well, first, we've all been familiar with the systemic and vascular effects of cirrhosis with increasing in vasodilators in the circulation, specifically in portal hypertension, and thus the effect of cirrhosis on on heart physiology. We are familiar with papers from other groups in the past showing some subtle EKG changes in patients with decompensated cirrhosis specifically. There is even a paper in the past showing how heart rate variability can predict mortality in in these patients. We've been fortunate to have outstanding partners in cardiology who have been paving the way in the field of artificial intelligence, and they have already developed pretty successful algorithms. ECG-enabled algorithms to predict low ejection fraction, atrial fibrillation, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So I became familiar with their work, and I reached out to them to establish a partnership and collaboration to then see if we could develop an AI algorithm to identify cirrhosis as a first step, as a proof of concept, which is this paper that is uh, getting published.
0: Well, thank you. I think this is a very eye-opening and uh, also perfect use of resources that are already there. But what was the rationale of focusing only on patients with cirrhosis in the transplant list? You know, these, I, these are very selected people for our audience. These are not everyone gets to be on the transplant list. Some people are either not eligible or are not referred or not sick enough. Do you think things would have been different if you had included both listed and unlisted patients?
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, so I think the rationale of using patients on the transplant list first is well twofold. One is because we have, as part of a routine transplant evaluation, all our patients on the transplant list uh, undergo a 12-lead ECG. So all of our patients will undergo that. So we had a large pool of patients with a number, not just one, but serial and longitudinal ECG, 12 lead ECGs before and after transplant for us to analyze. And since the goal of our study was to see if exists, there is a signal on the 12 lead ECG to identify cirrhosis. It made sense to start with the sickest group first. As we know patients that, and actually our inclusion criteria was patients that were, had an ECG within a week before transplant. So immediately after transplant, so they were the sickest patients and we excluded patients that had no cirrhosis indications for transplant, like well, those with HCC, with low meld and no decompensation and those with chondrocarcinoma and so on. So we focused on a very sick group of cirrhosis to just, again, as a proof of concept, is there something that we can pick up on a lead ECG that can differentiate those with cirrhosis than those without? So that was the rationale for using uh, patients with cirrhosis in the transplant list at first. Now to the second part of your question, do I think things would have been different if we have applied or developed the model and patients were listed and unlisted? Well, we're exploring that now. So that's the work we're doing now at patients of all stages of cirrhosis, including patients with compensated very early stages of cirrhosis that don't necessarily have clinically significant portal hypertension yet or are not yet decompensated to see if our model performs just as well but if it does require additional training because that will become important for potential clinical application of our model
0: well that's a very good point point. Um, and that's important for us to focus on the future because obviously as you know you can't do a liver biopsy in everyone who has diabetes or metabolic syndrome with the overview of NASH. So I'm glad that you're moving forward by focusing on people who it's not clinically obvious that they may have cirrhosis to potentially use this as a screening tool.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: so you also studied some longitudinal trends with and without transplant. Could you elaborate on those trends? I know you had briefly mentioned it in the overview. Could you go a little deeper?
1: Yeah. So again, that was just to emphasize that our model is indeed picking up cirrhosis related signals. So again, we had a number of ECGs on patients before and after transplant. So we wanted to, we developed the model using pre-transplant ECGs. And we wanted to see what happens to the ACE scores after transplant. So when the patients no longer had cirrhosis, right? So we were clearly able to see that the scores dropped quite rapidly within the first year after transplant, near normal range, if you want to call that, which is comparable to those uh, in the control group that did not have liver disease. Just again, nothing else changed on that patient except that they underwent a liver transplant. They no longer have cirrhosis, but they also still have all other comorbidities. And if anything, they could potentially even be sicker after transplant with new medications and so on. But despite that, the ACE score goes down after transplant to near normal range, normal levels.
0: Well, sounds good. This is, is important for us to keep in mind as we talk about people who are not going to get transplanted and potentially use this as a way of p- predict who gets into trouble after transplant, especially since a lot of the trouble is based on the cardiovascular issue. Do you think this could be used to predict outcomes before transplant? In this group, you actually only did people who are peritransplant, about to get transplanted. What about people earlier on whom predicting like hospitalizations, admissions, other decompensating events?
1: Right. So with this first study, we haven't really gone too deep into predicting outcomes necessarily because again, we used ECGs from patients that were near at the time of transplant and we haven't even looked or explored yet prediction of outcomes post-transplant necessarily. It was really mostly focused on developing a model to identify patients with cirrhosis. And that's the step we're working on right now. As I mentioned before, we are expanding our study to patients with earlier stages of disease, regardless of a transplant, being listed for transplant or not, and also including patients with compensated cirrhosis to see if we can predict which patients will go on to develop the compensation, which patients will go on to develop complications of cirrhosis and immortality as well, and hospitalizations, as you said. So th- that's the second part that we are working on right now.
0: And it's interesting that you actually had uh, matched on comorbid conditions because that's one of the main issues that people come along with because yeah, despite being on the transplant list, a lot of this has been done to ensure that patient is, the patient is cardiovascularly stable to undergo a transplant or at least check a list to make sure this is done. So it's very heartening to know that cardiovascular disease, hypertension, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, and lung disease were matched and these results held. Uh, which would make this translation even better into clinical practice. But how may this be used in clinical practice? Right now, if you look at this paper, it is incredibly complex, but you've, I think you've done a great job explaining it to people. Uh, but this is very much a technology that right now is not ready for prime time. But how do you think it could be used in clinical practice in the future if you were to project three or five years from now? Another great question. So I
1: think. As you said, this is preliminary. This is the first step, right? We are pretty confident that we are able to pick up a cirrhosis signal on 12 ECGs with great performance. Now, how can this be applied? I think is more studies are needed, and that's what we're working on right now. And I think potential is there though for two potential applications. And again, the two things that we're working on. So one, can we use a 12 trial, leverage 12 trial ECG? to detect undiagnosed cirrhosis. So as you mentioned before, patients with NASH and diabetes, we cannot biopsy all of them and we have already no invasive tools being developed to detect advanced fibrosis in those patients. Can 12 ECG be used for that? And if we can, that would be fantastic because again, it's a no expensive, no invasive bloodless test that uh, is done routinely and is widely available worldwide. So if, you can, if you're able to pick up a signal of early cirrhosis, patients that don't have the compensation yet are not even aware that they have cirrhosis. I think that would be a great application to use for population screening, for example. So that's one potential application that we're exploring. The second, which we touched on already, is for prediction of outcomes. And the work they're completing right now is using the ACE score to predict mortality. How does it compare to the MELT score? And adding the a score to the MELT score, does that improve the, the MELT score performance? Can we potentially use that in the future for transplant allocation, organ allocation? But we need to show that it can predict outcomes accurately, and how does it compare to the currently available tools and models, including the MELT and MELT sodium and the MELT 3.0. So that's the work we're doing. But again, to summarize, two potential Ways that we can use this in the future, if I could foresee the future, three, four years from now, will be for screening, population screening, and outcome prediction.
0: So, be to be a little more prosaic about it. Once, and I hope this works out, is if this becomes an important technique, do you envisage special EKG machines that would have this plugged in? So, once the EKG is done, uh, the operator just hits a button and says the AA score is this, is this something that you anticipate happening? Because, you know, obviously translation into point of care is where a lot of these technologies falter. And that's where the uptake becomes harder and harder to assess.
1: Absolutely. And I can use the example from our cardiology colleagues and how they're doing. As I mentioned before, they already developed similar AI scores algorithms to predict a fib and the risk of AFib and low ejection fraction, and they have been successful at doing exactly what you said. Uh, Every time an ECG is ordering our system, that is a dashboard that tells the risk of that patient developing AFib, the risk of them already having low ejection fraction if they don't know they have it, and other cardiac uh, comorbidities as well. So I do foresee that, again, if our model holds true in further validation studies, that we'll have something similar. There will be an alert based on the ACE score to the clinician, to the ordering provider that this patient is at risk of having cirrhosis or is at risk of having poor outcomes from their cirrhosis that then can be used to aid in their management.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure chatting with you, Dr. Simonetto. For our readers, this is again development of the AI cirrhosis ECG score and electrocardiogram-based deep learning model in cirrhosis. First authors, Dr. Ann and Dr. Atia, and Dr. Simonetto is the corresponding author. It's be published in the American Journal of Gastroenterology. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much,
1: Dr. Majaj.